This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Good evening and welcome to Buy Into It. Big thank you to Monique Sabir for the last three hours on Out on the Patio. She'll be back next week between 4 and 7pm. But tonight I'd love to welcome to studio Tyler Smythe. Hello, how's it going? <laughs> and Laura Summers. Hey there. Welcome back from holidays. Yes, I still kind of wish I was under sea with a bunch of tropical fish, but hey. this oh. is Never say so. This <laughs> is a close, good close second. second. Yes. <laughs> and I'm Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for joining us. Coming up tonight, we'll, we will be speaking to the company founder behind a chatbot designed to help prevent violence against women and the event founder bringing big ideas for startups to Geelong. So do stick around to hear all about that. Mm-hmm. In news today, Laura, a little bit of happy news. Oh, whoa. There's There's been lots of interesting news. There's some, I think this is like, maybe let's call it agnostic. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> There's oh, I meant coming out of Parliament. Oh, there is that as well. We have we're very excited to see that the Senate has passed the uh, the first hurdle for same-sex marriage um, becoming law. So I think that went past forty-three to twelve, which is a pretty that's fantastic. Good Hooray, yes. Yes. And also they kicked back all of those stupid amendments, sort of rollbacks, yeah. and and riders caveats. And yeah, and, and one print. of that was good. The fine print that was like, ooh, we have to protect religious rights as well, and it's like, hmm, those are already pretty well protected. Yeah, yeah. I think they got quite a lot of tax guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they need that much more protection. Um, but but there's some other news, which is more of the tech variety and also perhaps a little bit more sinister, I think we could say, mm. fairly. And that is that the government has um, made it public that they are exploring potential partnerships with the private sector to provide a facial verification service. Now, this is potentially two things. One would be um, facial verification, as in they, the the public or sorry the private um, company provides an image and the government will um, match it to something like your passport photo or your driver's license photo Mm -hmm. and just confirm that the person is who they say they are the other is when the um, private company provides an image and says I don't know who this is I need to find out and then the government will tell them which I think is maybe the one that makes me a little bit more uncomfortable like when Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily know who they are and they clearly haven't participated in any kind of sign up or onboarding and so like whether or not that's an appropriate sort of information that a, any sort of company should just be able to look up is maybe up for grabs for me. Yeah, the, taking away the, the right to opt in for mm. the consumer. Yeah, that someone who doesn't know that they might become a consumer of this company is, is a problem. It's a target. Yeah, well, here's here's an interesting thing from the ag.gov.au. Like, there's there's a bunch of data about it, but if you Google if you Google the face matching services page, um, it says it's saying the face verification service is a one to one image based verification service that can match a person's photo against an image. Blah 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 blah. The important point is, often these transactions will occur with now with the individual's consent. It implies that sometimes it won't, or perhaps mm-hmm. not their knowledge. And then is that okay? And I would like to add maybe the facet here that people have already started fooling iPhone 10 unlocks with basic photos. And um, so I saw a guy doing a hack. I think I saw it on a Reddit string, and he basically like created these 3D models, and then he made this like really. It was it was a fairly involved process, but he used like stone. I think it was stone dust turned into a resin to make like these 3D models of people's faces from their photographs. Wow. Um, but basically, you can imagine that if you were motivated enough, you could 
potentially get access to a lot of very sensitive data from this kind of information. And um, they, they do say on the on the website or the release that they they're interested in trying to ensure that the um, that rather the companies have like a valid reason and a you know a legal reason to be able to do this, but who's going to guard the watchdogs? Like, how is that going to actually be verified? How much of that's going to be made public? It just, it seems problematic And once it leaves government hands, where's the oversight? You know, yes. once it's in private mm. hands, you know, scope drift. Exactly. And how much of that data gets stored on private servers? Mm-hmm. And will those servers be well secured? Increases vulnerabilities. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yes, I think that's some one we should be keeping a close eye on across 2018 and hopefully we'll be able to report back with more data as it comes out. Definitely, yes. Um, Also, uh, on a completely different side of the tech world, uh, the CEO and founder of Tumblr, David Karp, has finally resigned after 11 years. Uh, He founded Tumblr in 2007 um, and I'm honestly not surprised that it's finally gotten to this point. He's he's been pretty vocal over the years about his... uh, Concerns with where the uh, where the site went and his original vision for it, um, and uh, he's left it to the uh, COO at the moment, Jeff D'Onofrio. Um, sold it back in 2013, and it was taken over by Verizon in uh, last year, was it? Yeah, last yeah, year. Yeah, last year. And um, yeah, so he he's uh, finally moved on to uh, hopefully bigger and better things. Old David Cup. We'll see. Maybe there'll be a competitor. Uh, in the future. You'd hope so. It was an amazing Tumblr. idea at the time. Yeah, it was a really unique yeah. concept. I, I love Tumblr. It's great. It's Do you guys a, have a favourite? Do you have like a Tumblr that's like sits in a special place in your heart? Mm. I've drifted away from Tumblr. Mm. <laughs> no, no. I think I discovered texts from your dog from Tumblr and that, oh, that one amazing. is like up there for me. Um, I do like the like kooky culture of that space. Like it definitely mm. has a different feeling to say Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, or any other social media. It's unique in what it is. Yeah, definitely. for sure. Huh. So, in other mm. news, um, there was an article that got published in the itnews.com.au this week and it said new laws will give Aussies access to their bank, telco and energy data um, based on legislation to be introduced uh, next year. And it was an interesting article because immediately um, how people already had rights under the Privacy Act to this data and there was they you know commented that this was almost a bit of privacy theatre going on uh, with this legislation. Like, oh, we're going to give you access to things you've already actually got access to. <laughs> so, you know, the devil's going to be in the details, something to watch a little bit more. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we like to think about when we look at the sort of data that people share online is um, a 2013 Office of the Australian Information Commissioner survey that suggested that around 30% of people lie or give misinformation in order to protect their privacy when using websites or smartphone apps. And that was up 25% from when the question was previously asked uh, six years prior. However, you know, there's places like um, energy sites and what have you will have more uh, rigorous sources of data because people don't have the ability to fudge the data so much for their utilities and telco type services. Mm. So so I guess, you know, there's, there's some issues there about making sure that people have access to that because mm. you need to make sure that it's accurate because it can have knock-on effects for credit reporting mm. and all sorts of things, um, which is why we already actually have that right. So 
what are they actually proposing this this new legislation to be? Is it just going to be... A convenience thing? Well, I don't it? know. Or yeah. is it, you know, is it something, is it a feel-good piece of legislation or is something hidden in that leg- legislation well, that has some other, you know, details? So that's something to watch out for mm. because, you know, we're nothing if not uh, consumer advocates here. Definitely, yes. Emma Costa is the founder and director of uh, Goodhood and she's the genius, I will say, behind Hello Cass, which is a very topical thing. Hello Cass is a chatbot of a kind. It's designed to be an early intervention tool for the prevention of violence against women and Emma joins us now to tell us a bit more. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So good to have you here. Now, chatbots are very um, hot right now. Yeah. When you were thinking of this concept, how did you start connecting this with the sorts of problems that you were trying to solve for? Sure. So um, I started thinking about this when I was working on a chatbot that I thought was terrible. And it was to help people buy jeans, which I thought no one really wanted and just Mm. couldn't see any point. (laughs) So... That's where it all kind of began. If I could talk my way into a pair of jeans, I mean, oh, I, maybe I would be happy with that chatbot. So, yeah, I was also at the time working or volunteering in a refugee camp in Berlin, so kind of post the big exodus out of Syria. And one of the big challenges there was sexual violence. Um, and within the camp, there were women and children from all sorts of places, so a lot of Syrian um, people, a lot of women and children from Afghanistan and Iraq and there was all sorts of kind of issues with in terms of barriers to accessing support. So whether it's language and, and literacy or lack of resources. Um, and so I just started to think about chatbots as a way of kind of transcending those barriers. So that's really where it began. Is it is it um, a classic chatbot as in like a Facebook chat or is it is it a little bit different than that? No, it's a bit different. So it works via SMS. So we've deliberately avoided Facebook um, mm-hmm. based on data security and that kind of thing and keeping it really private and discreet. And so users will access CAS via sending a text. So they send a text to the CAS number and start a conversation that way. Great. And it comes with pre-programmed responses or is it... Um is it an, a learning sort of chatbot? So at yeah. the start, it's pre-programmed. Mm. So we don't have a lot of, I guess, deep learning involved at the moment. So we're using mm-hmm. some natural language programming and decision tree mm-hmm. logic. Um, but we're working with community partners who are service providers in the sector to develop the content that CAS responds with. Great, mm. yeah. Mm. Are there particularly uh, tricky issues? You know, it's such a sensitive topic and I imagine, you know, when you're trying to help people, you're trying not to sort of re-traumatise them and, you know, sometimes even telling of stories can be a traumatising sort of thing. Um, Who did you work with to help you get across, like, the mental health type of issues or the health issues in general with with this this issue? Um, Yeah, so we've got some really great partners Um, across the service provider kind of sector in terms of family violence and sexual violence. So we're working with uh, No to Violence, who are the peak body for um, uh, men who are perpetrators. Mm -hmm. Um, So No to Violence, CoHealth, Berry Street, a whole bunch of different actors within the community to to make sure we're providing the best content and kind Mm -hmm. of giving users... Um, options. So the the idea is that it works like providing a map of resources and support services that are available for people to use or not use. You know, they right. don't need to do something. We don't keep any 
information that um, there's no personal information we keep. So it's really discreet in that way. That's kind of amazing because I imagine that, you know, normally these services, they're, they're, met, they're peopled by, you know, rooms of phone volunteers mm-hmm. and, um, you know, people need to find some someone that they're comfortable having a conversation with. This takes that away. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the barriers that we're also looking at. You know, some people feel that they find themselves in a situation of not really feeling confident mm-hmm. that maybe they've experienced something that maybe they don't feel like it's bad enough. That's one of the um, reasons people don't disclose or report um, violence. Um, there's a whole, I guess, range of reasons people don't report shame and embarrassment, um, fear. They might feel really fearful about, you know, a perpetrator, particularly in a family violence context. Mm-hmm. So looking for a way that was super discreet um, and it was kind, it was really simple. So we're mm-hmm. removing those barriers of, um, you know, making it too tricky. Oh, is this the right service for me? I'm not quite sure. Will they think, you know, this isn't bad enough or whatever? I think it's it's really smart to take away the 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 need for a human intermediary because if you if you're worried that someone's going to do something you don't want them to do then you might be fearful to even reach Definitely. out to another person. Absolutely. Particularly, I mean, even friends, you might think, oh, they're going to like stick their nose in, or they're going to tell the yeah. police or tell someone I don't want them to. And you know, even if you do need some kind of assistance, um, it's important to feel in control. I think. Yeah. For particularly sure. if your agency has been taken away. Yeah, and in, again, in the context of family violence, that's something that's been really interesting discovering, particularly um, for say migrant communities who mm-hmm. are in a situation where they're incredibly vulnerable based mm-hmm. on their visas so maybe they're on a spousal visa maybe there's kids involved they don't really understand how the process works so if if you know someone like the government gets involved in any way they're not quite confident in understanding what happens next so mm-hmm. giving people an option to kind of empower themselves with as much information as possible and then do or not take the ne- take the next step or not take the next step is really at the cr- that heart of Hello Cass. Not to mention, not everyone grows up with the sort of cultural norms of you know women's bodies are their own and yeah. women have like their own sexual agency and you know like you shouldn't violate that. So I mean, plenty of cultures treat women still very much like chattel, and it's yeah. it's hard to like subvert that if you've grown up in that kind of environment. So yeah. having having a safe space to maybe like ask some questions even before you like go further seems really smart. Yeah. So what stage are you at with this project mm-hmm. at the moment? So we the prototype is built. So we've got at the moment, as I mentioned, it's it's natural language programming with some dis- decision tree logic. Um, and that we'll, we'll be iterating every six weeks or so. So that's just, you know, you know what it's like, software. Yeah. Um, and we are in the process of kind of... I guess hustling for cash. <laughs> We're looking for money. There, yeah, absolutely. So I, I did actually tweet Dan Andrews and Gavin Jennings, Minister Gavin Jennings, before coming in. So I hope they're listening. Um, but yeah, we're looking for funding to get a pilot off the ground, and that's you know the great thing about working with technology in this way is that it's really light. Like we've got it's a very light tech mm-hmm. solution, and. It's easy to translate, which is one of the other things that we're really focusing on in our pilot is to translate into a couple of languages and go into communities where English isn't the first language and Mm, make sure we're getting support to women uh, in those communities who really, you know, are kind of falling through the cracks. 
So when you were in the research phase for this, did you look at any other projects? Um, I guess some that jumped to mind are like Info Exchange, yep. um, you know, providing apps to uh, people experiencing homelessness, for yep. example. Ask Izzy, yeah. So mm. Ask Izzy is a great service and that's, um, yeah, with a homeless kind of focus or people experiencing homeless homelessness. Um, in terms of looking at a family violence and sexual violence we haven't found as much, we haven't found, I guess, a similar product. Although I did see, um, interestingly, coming out of the Philippines this week, and I've forgotten the name, could be Gabby, maybe a Facebook messenger bot, which is looking uh. at uh, sexual violence in the Philippines, which, you know, in a developing mm. context, it's it's huge. You know, sexual violence is massive in Australia and, like, you know, mm. we're, we're hearing it. It's a real zeitgeist at the moment. It's very... It does feel like there's a reckoning, but um, in a development context, it's like people find accessing help even more difficult, so I think that's awesome. Um, there's a couple of chatbots we're looking at uh, from a mental health perspective. So one report came out of Stanford and another one was US-based as well. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Which were, I think it was called Wobot, W-O-E bot, which is very cute. Um, and they looked at artificial intelligence and the benefits of using a chatbot to help uh, in delivering cognitive behavioural therapy mm. and um, for young people experiencing anxiety and depression. And it was really fascinating. And they found, you know, spoiler alert, but they found that young people were much more willing to disclose sensitive information and be a bit more honest and upfront mm. with a chatbot than they were with someone with an actual counsellor. This is quite... This blows my mind a little mm. because when we talk about particularly artificial intelligence solutions, you know, they're usually trained on real-world cases and there's that concern that will, you know, amplify any biases that exist mm -hmm. in those data sets. Yeah. And yet the whole benefit of a chatbot and particularly of your approach rather than an AI approach with decision trees and natural language processing, the ability to actually remove cognitive biases from these discussions mm. is so powerful. Um, yeah, how, how are you going around pitching this idea to people? Um, I try not to get too much into the logic part because I do tend <laughs> So you very quickly find yourself out of your own depth, yes. in my case, <laughs> in my situation. So um, I think there's been I mean, some of the concern, which is so, you know, people are right to have this concern is like, but don't we need a human? Don't we need a human to actually counsel someone through trauma? And I, I think the answer is yes, at the moment we probably mm -hmm. do. Um, and that's not what we're, that's not the purpose behind CAS. So the purpose behind this, this particular program is to create a soft entry point for people who don't quite have the language themselves, don't have the confidence, don't have the access um, to getting to speak to that counsellor who can help them. Um, so that's, you know, once we get kind of, once we kind of reassure people that it's not about, you know, getting doing away with counsellors, mm -hmm. uh, it's really about helping people to have some tools to, you know, equip themselves with some information, know what their options are, have a bit of an idea, have a bit more confidence um, in taking that next step. Um, people are, tend to be much more on board. And I mean, the response has been really great. People, uh, and to mm. be frank, the sector is completely overwhelmed in mm -hmm. terms of, uh, you know, people calling crisis lines and that kind of thing. And we do need help. We need to start thinking of really 
um, of different ways of addressing this massive problem. That's what of technology course. is supposed to be good at too, yeah. right? It's like scalability and automation. And exactly. even if all it's doing is automating the process of people coming in to connect with the right support person, yeah. that's still a lot of human hours that are saved. It can go back into like the, you know, these really time poor organizations. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it can do the triage. And people, yeah, yeah, people worry about, you know, autonomous type of things taking jobs, but in a in an under um, resourced sector, yeah. mm. then there's absolutely such a strong role to play. Of course. Sure. Yeah. Um, um, I, I noticed you uh, said here that um, you're obviously focusing on women at the moment, but you have uh, intentions of including uh, the LGDP, LGBTI um, domestic violence uh, support as well in the future. Can you yep. tell us a bit about that? Sure. So um, we've developed it primarily to look at men's violence against women mm-hmm. because that is, you know, it's the big, biggest. It's the big yeah. one. It's the numbers thing. Um, and... But we're also working with, I guess, different organisations as subject matter experts. So we are working to ensure that there's content in there that has the LGBTIQ lens to mm-hmm. ensure, you know, the content is relevant and meaningful. And also, um, so looking at men's behaviour change programs as well. So mm-hmm. uh, people who may have perpetrated um, violence, they can also use this service. So one of the challenges is getting... is behaviour change that's a really hard one you know looking at people's you know why people perpetrate why people are doing certain things so and also getting people to I guess self-identify and it's it's a big ask as well you know googling why am I doing this you know it's Mm. it's confronting so if we can find different entry points for people to start their path, their journey towards behaviour change, then that's then all the better, you know. So yeah. and similarly, like the stigma is removed if you're just mm-hmm. chatting to a completely, you know, like faceless robot that you know isn't storing your data and is exactly. it gives you that anonymity, which I think is really important for people to mm-hmm. feel yeah. safe to explore. Yeah, and so anonymity was another key feature, and there's pros and cons. So obviously. Um, so I'll talk to the pros because we're of we're course. going anonymous. <laughs> um, so we don't store names, we don't store the phone number, the, the service knows if you've texted us before or not, that's all. Um, but, and we do store what people ask, but it's purely anonymous, so we couldn't, you could never be traced or it could never be subpoenaed, which is a slight con as well, like yep. in mm-hmm. terms of once we're getting down the pointy end and, you know, uh, of a process. Um, but, and the reason behind that is, like, it's really important to have a, as much information around what's going on, what people, how our prevention programs are working, what people are asking, you know, and that information getting fed back into the sector via Hello Cass is, we think, really crucial. But also, I mean, if we were to kind of keep user data safely, but if we were to keep mm-hmm. it safely, we could also then be vulnerable or be, you know, have to... Uh, give information over if someone was to be subpoenaed or what have you. Yeah. So we just decided that the best thing to do is to not know who anyone is um, and just try and help as many people as possible in mm. this scope. So you keep the questions mm. and that are being asked, do you keep them in a linear way so that you can figure out when people maybe drop out of the process? Yeah, so we keep uh, questions, um, exit, like... I'm trying to think now how often they use the service. Mm. Um, so that's kind of some mm. kind of, that's helpful in us um, optimising, I guess, the user journey and the user experience because at the moment we don't know much. We've just, it's all kind of hypothesis based. So we'll be over the pilot period. The idea is that we have um, 
that we test a few things, mm-hmm. uh, test a few concepts, that kind of A-B test, and then, um, yeah, have a big, I guess, have two kind of serious sprints before launch just to make sure we've got things working as best we can and continue, obviously, mm-hmm. to iterate as once, once we've launched. So you've mentioned a bunch of subject matter <coughs> experts who you're working with, but how do you use a test of a service like what, this. Literally what I was about yeah. to ask. Yeah. Like, how do you respect people's privacy but yeah. still actually do that work? Yeah, mm. it's really tricky. And um, I guess we have to... So, first of all, we have to make sure everyone's comfortable with it. So, if people aren't comfortable providing feedback, we don't ask for it. Mm. Um, we're looking... We're trying to work out a way of building um, a feedback device at the end of an experience. So, it, once a user's kind of finished, like, can I mm-hmm. help you with anything else? And they say no. And then we can send like do you mind if we ask you these questions yeah also with our partners we'll be working to test with some of the group therapy group counseling sessions if everyone's okay with that group counseling sessions to see what the feedback is Mm -hmm. in the room so working really closely with um victim survivors and and people within the sector and the community is the, the point of the pilot program and then mm. when you take those those mm. questions and answers back out of out of the process and you've just got anonymised data, mm. is there any sort of retesting of how, how could we have handled this better or is there? Yeah, so yeah. Um, this is all, this is the plan. So <laughs> this is the 2018 <laughs> plan. Um, what we'll do is quarterly review the data with the, the community partners um, and go through the insights that we get out of that and then also then look at the content that so each community partner has a, a scope of content that they're working with um, and then we'll go through the relevant information and, and amend and fix I guess or optimize the the content and the user journey based mm-hmm. on what we're finding right. how do you I was just going to ask how do you identify people to potentially be part of the pilot knowing that you, you need people who actually might be experiencing something quite bad at the time it's not like you're being like hey guys want to like try my yogurt you know like yeah 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 <laughs> totally so we are so working with the community partners so who do the liaising first off so we weren't going to do a cold call um having said that we might we've got all this we've got we're growing a community on facebook which is just hello cast on facebook mm-hmm. Um, of people who maybe have experienced violence in the past or would, you know, know someone. Because that's the other thing is CAS can also be helpful for, you know, if you're a friend who knows someone going through, um, who's experienced violence, experiencing violence or, is, or has in the past and you don't know how to help, that's really another use case that we're looking at um, that we've, you know, developed content for. So um, I guess we're not anticipating that, you know, if you're in a violent situation at that time that you'd be using the service. Also, I must say, if it's it's not a crisis service. So mm-hmm. if there is someone who's in crisis and, and immediately needs support, you know, it's triple zero mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. Definitely. Look, uh, Emma, this has been amazing hearing about your plans for Hello Cass. It's, it's, you know, such a great social justice project, but it's really at the leading edge of technology and a really nice, you know, balance of, of touch to it. Wish you all the best thank you with your much. journey with it. We hope to hear more in the new year. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I think we should also uh, plug the other family and domestic violence support services yeah, that, that are available, like uh, the 1-800-RESPECT mm-hmm. helpline, the Women's Crisis Line, uh, Lifeline, obviously, Relationships Australia and the Men's Referral Service. Yep. You can Google all of those and you'll find the numbers quite easily. Um, the Lifeline number, the big one, 131114. So if, um, if you need you can call that at any time. It's 24 hours. Yeah. Um, 
So Leighton Wells is the Chief Operations Officer of Runway, a startup accelerator, and he is the founder of the Pivot Summit. The third Pivot Summit is happening in Geelong on Friday the 8th of December, featuring a range of speakers, including Apple Computers co-founder Steve Wozniak, the great and powerful Woz. Welcome to the show, Leighton. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So this is the third uh, time that you've run Pivot in Geelong. Tell us about you know where it came from. Yeah, so I had a friend who was running, um, at the time it was an in-house only event for Telstra, the Telstra Digital Summit. And initially that was just an in-house thing. And then the second year, I think they opened it up a bit and I got an invite to that. And they had speakers from all over the world that they'd paid to come down and sort of, I think, give their staff a bit of a rev up. Um, and I really liked the idea and I think kind of the idea sat dormant in my head for a couple of years. And then I went to a... Um, a tech workshop in Geelong run by the, the Peak Body. Geelong now. Um, and they were talking about things that they could run and I thought I should probably go and speak to, to my friends who, who ran the Telstra Digital mm. Summit and maybe something magical could happen out of that. Um, and then they suggested that we leverage off some of their speakers and have something the following day, which is probably a lot more than I was expecting. and That's uh, pretty mind-blowing, actually. It's very generous. Well, it, obviously, as a brand-new thing, we couldn't afford to pay for international speakers. So to be able to sort of bring international speakers to an event the first year um, really helped get a lot of traction immediately mm. with the community. And uh, and so they bought into the event. Um, it was It wasn't a, a difficult sell. It was sort of something that kind of grew of its own accord, I think. So we know that more and more people are moving to Geelong and there's a bustling cafe scene and mm -hmm. plenty of beautiful, you know, uh, entrepreneurs working there and surfing in the mornings, living our best lives. <laughs> but uh, what can you tell us about the scene in Geelong that, that a lot of people may, may not know? Yeah, I think there's a lot of groups down there doing a lot of uh, exciting things. There's certainly a lot of creative talent um, down in Geelong across, um, you know, design and videography and photography and um, arts and uh, and the tech scene is um, is vibrant and growing. And you know, we've seen the recent announcement about live tiles going down there, which is probably 500 odd jobs. Um, there's plenty of other tech businesses down there. I'm not going to start listing them because I know I'm going to start offending people if I do that. <laughs> so. Um, uh, but there are a lot of tech businesses, a lot of startups down there, um, and a lot of sort of grassroots groups that are that are, um, are kind of helping grow that culture. I think there's a group called Geelong Founders, and um, it's kind of couch therapy for startups. I suppose a group of people that get together and have a, a beer and a, and, uh, and chat about the challenges of running a startup. So, yeah, I think the scene's pretty strong and it's growing, um, and it's growing pretty rapidly. That social side is no small thing, though. The thing you hear from startups all the time is that you know you need to learn from people who've just been through what you've been through, mm. and uh, that yeah, I mean it's a it's a hard road. It's daunting, and it's definitely not a straight line. I think we've all seen that um, that uh, picture that shows the startups sort of going through Death Valley and fighting lions and tigers and sharks, and then one moment they're paddling in a boat and climbing a ladder and all that sort of stuff. So it's not it's not straight line by any stretch. What is that apocryphal story? Like starting a startup is like jumping out of an airplane and yeah. building your parachute on the way down. <laughs> yeah, 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 building the plane on the way or down. The, the, yeah. the plane. Yeah. Whatever flotation device prevents you from smashing into the earth. Whatever, whatever works. And that, I think that is what it is. It, it's whatever works. So, um, mm. you know, and I kind of feel like 
um, pivot can be that way at times too. So, yeah. Look, as a, as a radio show who's always looking for interesting guests to bring to our audience, we have to ask you about how you scored Steve Wozniak to... Um, you know, keynoted your festival. Yeah, so I'll start off by what it isn't it, and what it isn't is not picking up the phone and go, can you speak at our event? <laughs> um, uh, it's a lot more complicated than that. So and you just tweeted at him, he slid yeah. into his DMs? Well, maybe I should have started with that. It might, have been, <laughs> it might have just warmed him up a bit. It might have been an easy road. But um, no, we, we had to find out which management company to approach and then and there was quite a bit of negotiations um, and he was going to come. And sorry, I didn't mean to use was was <laughs> was, was going to come. So um, uh, yeah, he 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 was, and then he wasn't, and uh, uh, and then we had to look for someone else to to fill his shoes. And then you start doing tech star power maths, and that's really odd. Um, and then he turned around and said he was going to come again. And so um, we it's actually, very reassuring to hear that it's not just easy. Mm. Yeah, so it was about four months of negotiation mm. uh, all up and uh, quite a bit of swing and fro with his management about what we were and weren't allowed to, or what we are and aren't allowed to do, I should say, because it's still future tense. So, mm. And what will he be speaking to? Mm. Uh, yeah, so so he'll be, look, he'll, essentially he'll be speaking on um, on his thoughts about where te- te- tech is at the moment. Um, of course, we'll probably cover some of the usual suspects about what was it like to start a business with Steve Jobs and how did all that work and... Um, so I think people who are there want to hear that live. We kind of will cover some of that ground anyway because it's an interview. Mm. Um, but he'll also be talking about uh, the startup landscape and the tech landscape in Geelong and how a regional location can can uh, grow and, and play an important role in in the country. Um, so that, I think that's one of the advantages of the, of the interview is that we can kind of curate that um, that discussion a little bit. Um, Probably and a whole bunch of other stuff I can't think of. I, I really hope mm. that you get him to empty his pockets because he is known for carrying and testing so many different devices at a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, if you've been following him on Twitter, like he's quite entertaining. I'm, I think he'll be a really sort of engaging, interesting person to hear from in real life. And I imagine your audience is just going to be sitting there starstruck, going like, "I can't believe the yeah, one's actually I, on stage." Um, part of part of the agreement was that um, we had a scheduled conference call with him, and I had to talk about the background of the event and Geelong and why Pivot and, and technology and startups are important to Geelong. And um, that was, was something where I started to get really, the closer it got, I got really nervous. And then <laughs> the night before I started sort of uh, wazzing up, I'm like, I've got, to, <laughs> I've, I've, I've got to find more material so that if he asks me anything, would you like me to talk about such and such? I don't mm. sound so... Um, uh, idiotic. I was looking for the right word. But. I'm sure you sounded fine. You got him here. You've done the job. Look, we can't speak about Walls all night. We've no. got to let you get mm. to your amazing speaker list. Um, tell us a bit about who else people can can see if they come along on the 8th of December. Yeah, we. we I think we've done incredibly well. Um, I, I think we, we did well. The we did exceptionally well the first year, and we and then we. I think we. We extended that second year, and this year I think we've we've obviously uh, overachieved. Um, so I'm not sure how next year's going to look, but <laughs> I'll worry about that later. Um, yeah, we've got Kate Erickson speaking, who's the head of innovation for PwC, and uh, I saw her speak at an event. She was amazing. She's very very slick presenter and really knows that innovation space well, um, and has worked in a do- lot of different locations around around the globe. 
uh, Jeffrey Cole, who's um, consulted to, I think, two US presidents, US Congress, um, Time Warner, Sony, Microsoft, all on digital. Mm. Um, we've got, uh, who I believe is on Triple R at times, we've got Dr. Crystal Evans. And uh, I think she's on a show that you guys Yeah, know. she's Einstein. very good. Yeah. She's on Einstein? Yeah, Einstein and Gogo. Einstein and Gogo, yeah. yeah. So, um, so she's the CEO of Bio Melbourne. And uh, I think that's an exciting new space for us to start moving into because I think biotech is mm. biotech and tech and just tech generally is, is increasingly mm. overlapping. And so, you know, it used to be that if you're talking about biotech, it's just sort of more on that biology spectrum. And now it's sort of, you know, people talk about biohacking and things like that. Mm. Mm. Um, so I'm excited to hear what she's got to say. Um, and then a whole bunch of other speakers. And I have to apologise, but my brain's been fried, I think, from the amount of work that I've been doing. So um, you'll have to read them out for me and I can comment on them, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Well, I was excited to see Marissa Senzaki was there. She's the head of talent acquisition at Weploy. And yeah, we're excited to we're excited to have her along. I, you know, I think um, anyone that can provide some perspective on... Um, I think current and 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 important trends on employing people for startups, which obviously have a different mindset to traditional uh, businesses, employing someone who comes into a business with this idea that they then have the responsibility of growing that and scaling that business at uh, an obscene rate is is a tall order for anyone. Um, yeah, Startmate hosted a, a great session um, with an HR talent uh, just the other week on this same issue and people are really, really struggling with this and they're like, where do we go? And, you know, for me, hearing people talk about Seek like it's old hat and that's not where they find mm. fresh new talent, you go, wow, I remember when Seek was a startup here and, and Seek's still amazing, but it, it really, you know, it isn't maybe the place that you go to get your your developers or mm. your, you know, creatives. It might be or the place that you get your HR person or your accountant or something. Aside yeah. from anything else, Seek just has a volume problem, right? Mm. They just have so much traffic coming into the um, employer seeking seeking for that right person. And mm. I think startups are always time poor yeah. and they probably don't know anything about who they're looking for or what the characteristics are. And, you and know, they like, can't afford to be paying recruitment fees on top yeah. of that as well mm. is a for massive sure. issue. So um, it's actually such a niche thing and sometimes people ignore it in tech. It's easy to ignore, I think, but it's yeah, well, just so Marissa, important. Marissa uh, played a... I was going to say pivotal. I didn't mean to. I'm not, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to just sandwich in the word pivot as many times as I can. Um, but she she played a key role in growing Slack, um, you know, globally. So I think anyone that is speaking from a place of experience, that's you, you want to you want to tap into that. Yeah, I noted you also had William um, Confalonieri, who's the Chief Digital Officer and Vice President at uh, Deakin University. He's an excellent speaker who I've um, heard on RN a few times and a few other things. Tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, so he he's um, he and Deakin are doing amazing things on the technology front. And, um, uh, you know, they've released a, an AI um, thing called Gen De Deakin Genie, which I don't know a lot about, but it's sort of, you know, designed to, I think, help students and and do all sorts of amazing things. And uh, Deegan has um, their 3D lab with the people that go in with the sensor sensor um, suits, and you know they do things for like gaming companies and creative pursuits like dance, video, film, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, so it's, it's like really reasonably high-end facilities for university. Yeah, so they're they're uh, the tech lab down at um, uh, in Geelong, what their Warren Ponds campus uh, is amazing, um, <laughs> and and they're doing a lot of things in advanced fiber technology and all of that sort of stuff. So I think he'll probably cover a pretty wide 
spectrum of things, and um, and I think he's one. He's kind of the kind of guy who's won sort of multiple um, CDO, CIO, kind of CTO uh, awards in his career. So uh, mm. you know, again, someone that has real experience uh, and insights. I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Great to see Georgia Beatty on your uh, panelist lineup. She's the CEO of Startup Victoria. Um, what She's a great speaker as well. She is, yeah. yeah. What do you think um, you'll have her speaking about? So Georgia's actually um, part of a, uh, I think we've loosely called it an excellence in business uh, panel. And I, I think we're still kind of grappling with <laughs> what exactly we get those guys to talk about. It's such, um, there's such a, a depth of and breadth of uh, skills and talent on that panel. I think our, our challenge is that we find, you know, a good kind of half dozen things that people can take away and apply. Um, so I know I've kind of stepped away from answering your question, I think, um, <laughs> because it's uh, because it's more about what the panel's going to say. And I think... You've still got so much time before the 8th. Yeah, I mean, you've got come a, on. a week and a yeah. half, you're fine. Well, actually, actually one of the other... Um, so Georgia, Georgia, obviously, she actually uh, did a keynote for us last year. So And we, we liked what she, she said in the audience. Where I really liked what she said a lot. So... So we've asked her back. Um, in fact, I think she's the only person from last year's lineup that's actually um, got a look in for this year as well too. So, um, but a, another person on that panel, uh, Joel Thompson from Sales Preso, is actually helping curate that discussion. So, mm. um, shout out to Joel for helping me out because it's one less thing I have to do myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tickets, how does how does one get along to this event? Yeah, so the important plug for tickets, absolutely. Uh, so basically go to the website, uh, pivotsummit.com.au. Um, we have, we've had, because of, of the of the type of lineup that we have this year, um, we felt the need to sort of uh, offer t- different ticket options. So there were sort of corporate mm. tables at the front and A, B and C reserve tickets. Um, all the corporate tables are gone and A reserve is nearly gone as well too. So if you, if you want to be up the front, now's the time to buy a ticket. <laughs> Um, go to the website and there's a, a buy tickets tab there and you can follow yeah. the prompts and uh, and come along. For the um, students and maybe the less like cashed up of us, I can see that there's a volunteer option. Is that still available? Yeah, so I think there's some volunteer positions available. So I definitely encourage you to, if you do want to volunteer, to go online. And we do need volunteers because it, it's uh, the scale of the event uh, is... Um, it, it's a big event. Mm. It started off being a, a reasonable size event, and then this year it's sort of you know approaching kind of eight or nine hundred uh, attendees. I'd also say, look, see reserve tickets. You know, if you just want to be in the room, hearing was live. Mm. Um, they're only two hundred and fifty dollars, and you get the whole rest of the day's events as well. People pay that much to hear was alone in mm. stadiums. Yeah, you know. And I, I really think that's actually quite amazing that you've managed to, to turn it around for that sort of cost. And yeah, I, I can think, see you've really tried to put some value there. Yeah, we, yeah we've done, I think we've done our best too. I, th- I think we feel pretty confident that the speaker lineup that we have is, um, you know, the speakers are probably a, as good a calibre. They're not obviously as well known, but the, the content that they're providing is, is of a very high standard. Absolutely. Um, and people get fed and watered. Well, more, <laughs> more, important, more importantly, they don't have to uh, bring their, bring a packed lunch. So. Excellent. Well, you know, do keep an eye out for the swag too. The T-shirts are looking pretty sweet. Um, Leighton, thanks so much for coming in and Thank telling you. us about no, Pivot Summit. Yeah. 
Yeah, and um, yeah, check it out at pivotsummit.com.au. Ah, I think it's time for our Weird News of the Week. It is. My favourite segment. Um, so we're going to talk about a California man, Mad Mike Hughes, as they call him. He's uh, built a rocket, steam-powered rocket. In He attached it to his camper trailer in the middle of the Mojave Desert, and he's going to be launching it on Monday. So uh, normally this wouldn't be unusual news for us. So yeah. what is weird about this particular uh, rocket man? The reason that he's built this rocket is going, he's going to launch it into the atmosphere and prove that the Earth is flat. Amazing. He's uh, one of those flat earthers, and I... I love hearing stories about these guys because they commit so much time and effort to everything. Um, 61-year-old limo driver. Um, so, yeah, he's got it. It's in Amboy, California. If anybody wants to go watch it <laughs> and is near it, they our international They possibly listeners. frustrate me even more than moon landing deniers. Oof, oof. That's a, that's, that's a, a hard call, call right? That's a hard call. Uh, that, well, they wanted the same Worms a lot of the time, can. aren't they? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A hard, hard rain's going to fall. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. After that swan. All right. That is our weird news. We've been it's there. Nice. It is a favourite segment for a reason. <laughs> uh, Laura, what's happening in events? Well, there is a, um, a uh, thing happening at Science Work, which is a um, launch of a... Um, an experience called Ground Up, which is a permanent exhibition for babies to five-year-olds. And it's um, being presented in collaboration with Code Like a Girl, who I work with and who are totally rad, and they're, they're big on like helping young girls of all ages get stuck in a tech. Um, and it just looks like a really fun exhibition. Um, so it's for future aeronautical engineers will design and construct flying contraptions. And I think it's just going to be fun and interactive. And I love that it's made for really, really young kids. So it's going to be very safe. It's going to be very like hands-on and yeah, get, get stuck in. Yeah, ScienceWorks is so great at oh. doing the interactive exhibits and, you know, creating those accidental learning experiences, very playful, brilliant to Absolutely. see. Absolutely. So, yeah, if you have children or if you are a child at heart, go check it out. Ground up, building big ideas together at Just in time for school holidays. Perfect. Excellent. Very well done. Um, Buzz Conference Technology Festival is on from the 1st to the 3rd of December. That's this weekend, guys. It We've is. We've been it for a while. Laura, you're going. I'm going. You're I'm presenting. Giving, I'm giving a workshop. I'm oh. going to be making some weird nightmare lights, which is going to be NeoPixels and Arduinos. <laughs> and hopefully I'll have a lot of amazing photos to show people of like the weird sort of bizarre cases. Think Sid, think Toy Story, think like cannibalized Ooh. dolls. I'm hoping it's going to be rad. That sounds brilliant. Well pitched. So, you know, if you haven't gotten in on BuzzConf yet, are they yeah. sold out? Uh, I don't believe they are, and I think you can still get tickets through the website. So if you're a last-minute decider, just hop on there and grab a ticket. Buzzconf.io. Big thank you to our guests tonight, Emma Costa from Goodhood and Leighton Wells for the Pivot Summit. Thank you, Laura and Tyler, for being with me tonight, and um, thank you for listening. We've been Bite Into It. We'll be back next Wednesday. Stay tuned for the International Pop Underground up next with Anthony Carew. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.